Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Columbia REIT's Q4 earnings conference call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Thursday, February 25th, 2021. I will now turn the conference over to Ruth Martin. Please go ahead. Thank you, Joanna. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Crombie REIT's fourth quarter conference call and webcast. Thank you for joining us. This call is being recorded in live audio and is available on our website at www.crombiereit.com. Slides to accompany today's call are available on the investors section of our website under presentations and events. On the call today are Don Clough, President and Chief Executive Officer, Clinton Kay, Chief Financial Officer and Secretary, and Glenn Hines, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. As always, we want to caution you that such statements are based on management's assumptions and beliefs. These forward-looking statements are subject to uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from such statements. Please see our public filings, including our annual information form, for a discussion of these risk factors. I will now turn the call over to Don, who will begin our discussion with comments on Crombie's overall strategy and outlook. Glenn will follow with a development update and a review of Crombie's operating fundamentals and results. Clinton will discuss our financial results, capital allocation, and approach to funding, and Don will conclude with a few final remarks. Over to you, Don. Thank you, Ruth, and good day, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our 2020 year-end conference call. 2020 was a year like no other. We began the year with record occupancy, an all-time high closing unit price of 16.58 in January, and a compelling strategy of stability, sustainability, and growth by operating one of the best grocery-anchored retail portfolios in Canada, maximizing our relationship with Empire and executing on our major developments in Canada's largest cities. The COVID-19 pandemic was declared in March and the world around us was significantly impacted by a health crisis that transformed into a global economic crisis unlike anything we had seen before. With no rule book and a pandemic of unknown duration, Crombie pivoted and took a thoughtful long-term approach that continues today to prioritize the health, safety and well-being of our employees, tenants and our communities together with maximizing our liquidity so our business could deal with the myriad of financial pressures that would present themselves. The success of our tenants and the communities in which we operate mattered deeply to us. As a result, Crombie's team tailored an approach to rent relief that further strengthened these relationships. We provided financial assistance through our Crombie Value Small Business Program, CVSB, and helped tenants receive funding through the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Secret Program, and the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy, SERS, program. In addition, we performed case-by-case evaluations with select tenants who did not qualify for CVSB, CICRA, or SERS to determine appropriate levels of support for their business. 
we maintained frequent contact with our tenants as many were faced with substantial changes to the way they served their customers through multiple lockdowns. Although the pandemic is not yet over, Crombie continues to be in a strong position to weather the storm. Crombie's long-term strategy has not changed as we remain committed to delivering stability, sustainability, and growth for the benefit of all of our stakeholders. I am very proud of our Crombie team as they showed remarkable resilience and made tremendous sacrifices to drive Crombie's top quartile unit price performance in 2020. Crombie's team has driven our strategy through the most difficult year in the last decade as it has grown and optimized the quality of our grocery-anchored omni-channel real estate portfolio and delivered world-class development projects while at the same time strengthening our financial condition. Grocery-anchored retail continues to be one of the best classes of real estate, and our empire-anchored core portfolio has stood up to the unique challenges presented over the last 12 months, achieving a new record of committed occupancy of 96.4% and strong leasing performance. Crombie benefits from both the strong and improving covenant of empire and from their lengthy weighted average lease term of approximately 12 and a half years which drives our overall remaining weighted average lease term of approximately nine and a half years. To advance our relationship with Empire, we have aligned our strategies over the next three years to collectively drive high-quality, risk-adjusted growth consistently and at scale, with Crombie planning to spend approximately 100 to $200 million a year on Empire-related investments. This alignment includes strategic and accretive investments in the modernization and expansion of grocery stores, including the Fresco discount format in Western Canada and Fatboy in Ontario, accelerating Sobeys' build-out of their online grocery home delivery service, Voila, land use intensifications, and the unlocking of major developments. Case in point, in December, we achieved substantial completion of the Customer Fulfillment Centre number 2 in Montreal, the home of Empire's Voila e-commerce home delivery facility. I want to commend Michael Medline and the entire Empire team for their dedication and resilience in relentlessly serving groceries to Canadians and keeping customers safe throughout the pandemic. Empire achieved great momentum through its Project Sunrise transformation, and we have full confidence they will be successful with Project Horizon, their new three-year growth strategy to drive core business expansion and e-commerce acceleration. Crombie is fortunate to have a strong and strategic partner that we expect will not only continue to be a Canadian grocery industry leader for years to come, but will also drive significant value creation in both food retail and real estate over the long term. We have become a significant developer of major mixed-use real estate in urban markets across the country. Our value-enhancing major development pipeline includes sites strategically and conveniently located within walking distance of existing and future transit corridors. These major development projects play a key role in our long-term strategy of accelerating net asset value and AFFO growth. Despite COVID-19, our team and our partners, West Bank and Prince Developments, safely forged ahead to ensure our active development projects remained on track and on budget. The quality and diversification of our developments and their economic returns remain of utmost importance. 2020 was a landmark year for our development program as we saw our first four major development projects reach substantial completion. First-to-market retail tenants opened their new locations and residential tenants moved into our first mixed-use residential development in the heart of the West End in Vancouver. In addition to these achievements, progress continues on our remaining three active developments, 
with substantial completion expected in 2021, while pushing forward another 10 projects through various stages of entitlements. Overall, we plan to spend approximately 150 to 250 million on developments annually. Lastly, we are very pleased with the continued improvement of our balance sheet as we leverage multiple sources of capital to increase our liquidity, increase the weighted average turn to maturity of our debt, and take advantage of low interest rates. Though we've been living with COVID-19 for almost a year and we're not out of the woods yet, we are optimistic for brighter days ahead as vaccinations continue to roll out across Canada. We are hopeful that herd immunity will be achieved by the end of 2021 and we can return to a more normal way of life. We expect our stable grocery anchored portfolio and solid financial condition, together with our resilient and remarkable team, will continue to work closely with Empire to support their business, unlock value, and grow and develop Crombie. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Glenn, who will provide an update on our developments and operational highlights. Thank you, Don, and good day, everyone. We have built a very solid foundation for our business. We've improved the quality of our portfolio by developing and acquiring assets in Canada's top markets, as well as recycling assets, mostly in secondary and tertiary markets, to reinvest proceeds in empire-related investments and Crombie's major urban development. Our defensive grocery-anchored portfolio is well-positioned with minimal exposure to the numerous declarations of store closures, CCAA applications, and or bankruptcies in recent months. We're happy to say that 97% of our portfolio was open and operating as of December 31st. Crombie Strong fundamentals on our 284 property portfolio were driven by record high Q4 committed occupancy of 96.4%. New leases and expansions increased occupancy by 248,000 square feet at an average first year rate of $18.04 per square foot. While we experienced just 116,000 square feet of net lease expiries, vacancies, terminations, and space adjustments. We ended the year with 432,000 square feet of committed space at an average first year rent of $19.66 per square foot, which will boost future NOI growth. 300,000 square feet are committed at our Montreal CFC, another 47,000 square feet committed at Avalon Mall, and a 49,000-square-foot office lease is committed at our Scotia Square complex in Halifax, Nova Scotia. During the quarter, 200,000 square feet of renewals were completed at a 4.5% increase over expiring rental rates. In 2020, we renewed 758,000 square feet at an increase of 4.1% over expiring rent. Retail plaza renewals were solid, with 404,000 square feet renewed at rental increases of 5%. The portfolio we have today is resilient, and as we navigate through these uncharted times, our team is dedicated to ensuring our underlying business fundamentals remain strong. Property development is a strategic priority for Crombie as it improves NAV, cash flow growth, and unit holder value. In 2020, solid milestones were achieved on our major mixed-use developments as they remained on track and on budget. This is truly a transformational time for Crombie as our Belmont Market, Avalon Mall, Davy Street Retail, and Montreal CFC major development projects reached substantial completion in 2020. The remaining three active developments, namely Davy Street Residential, Leduc, and Bronte, 
are expected to reach substantial completion in 2021. Our 160,000 square foot Belmont market on Vancouver Island reached substantial completion in the first quarter of this year of 2020, with the final phase of the development consisting of three small buildings totaling 23,000 square feet still to come online. Construction is substantially complete at the first of these three buildings. Two of the three units in this building have been leased, and the remaining two buildings are slated to begin construction upon pre-leasing success. Avalon Mall is the only regional mall in all of Newfoundland and Labrador, and has had exceptional performance as one of the top enclosed malls in Canada during the pandemic. Rent collection at Avalon Mall for Q4 was 94%. Newfoundland and Labrador have had a low number of COVID cases relative to the rest of Canada, and a relatively strong return to normal economic and social conditions, resulting in increased traffic counts and climbing sales at Avalon. Recently, there has been an outbreak in the province which put a pause on this progress. Non-essential retail stores are closed to in-person service at this time for an initial two-week period, which ends tomorrow. Phase one of Avalon's development reached substantial completion in the third quarter of 2020, while phase two achieved substantial completion in Q4. The grand opening of the 165,000 square foot redevelopment space is scheduled for this spring. H&M had a strong opening in the fourth quarter of 2020, while numerous other tenants are in possession of their space with openings expected to commence in the first and second quarter of this year. The 300,000 square foot Montreal CFC reached substantial completion in the fourth quarter of 2020, ahead of our preliminary schedule estimates. The base building was turned over to Empire and Ocado in December 2020, with the lease commencing in Q1 2021. At Davie Street in Vancouver, the commercial portion of the development reached substantial completion in Q2 of 2020 as the new Safeway store opened. Additionally, Scotiabank and the government liquor store opened later in 2020, and 100% occupancy will be achieved with the final tenant opening in Q2, which was recently signed. Substantial completion on the 330 Davie Street residential rental units in two towers was achieved in January. The West Tower was completed in the fourth quarter of 2020 with initial tenant move-ins beginning in November. The East Tower began move-ins this month. In Montreal, at our Leduc project, the residential structure is complete and interior fixturings are well underway. Leduc will include a 25-story mixed-use tower with 387 residential rental units. On ground level, there is a 25,000-square-foot IGA grocery store which began its fixturing period this month, and 1,000 square feet of retail space with 200 underground parking stalls. The project is estimated to reach substantial completion in Q3 of this year, with initial leasing activity soon to commence. Bronte Village in the GTA is 96% tendered, and both buildings are fully enclosed with interior finishing work well underway. Substantial completion is expected in the fourth quarter of this year, with the new Farm Boy store expected to open in the summer of this year. The pre-leasing marketing campaign has commenced with strong interest to date, and the first residential lease was signed this month. These projects are expected to drive NAV and AFFO growth, increase our presence in the country's top urban markets, while diversifying and improving our overall portfolio quality and income stream. As our first active developments approach completion, we continue our work to entitle an additional 10 projects across Canada. 
We are making progress on locking significant land value embedded in our major urban market grocery stores and generating opportunities to continue our development program. We expect to invest $150 million to $250 million in our development program annually, as Don noted. To date, zoning is in place for three projects, two of which are in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and one in Victoria, British Columbia. Two, proje two projects located in Vancouver and Halifax have zoning applications submitted, and the remaining five projects are in various stages of pre-planning. We've also completed property acquisitions of, and have been active in our capital recycling program. In the fourth quarter, Crombie acquired two income-producing properties and one development property for a total aggregate purchase price of $31 million. Through these acquisitions, Crombie strengthened its presence in Vectom in line with our urbanization strategy. Subsequent to December 31st, an additional retail property was acquired from Empire. In the fourth quarter, we concluded the disposition of five income-producing properties for total gross proceeds of $37 million. Additionally, subsequent to year-end, two income-producing retail properties were disposed for total gross proceeds of $18 million. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Clinton, who will highlight our fourth quarter financial results and discuss our capital and development program funding approach. Clinton? Thank you, Glenn, and good day, everyone. We are very pleased with our 98% collection rate in Q4, which remained constant in January, a steady improvement from our 95% collection rate in the third quarter. Despite the ongoing challenges, Crombie remains in good financial health with a strong and flexible balance sheet, ample liquidity of $472 million available at year-end, and an ability to prudently allocate and creatively source capital. On a cash basis, quarterly same-asset NOI increased by 1.9% and decreased by 1.1% for the full year. Excluding COVID-19-related adjustments such as bad debt expense, rent abatements, and a decline in parking revenue, same-asset NOI would have increased by 3.6% for Q4 and 2.8% for the full year. AFFO per unit was $0.23, cents, decreasing from $0.24 cents for the same quarter last year. Our AFFO payout ratio was 98.7% versus the same quarter last year at 93.8%. FFO for the quarter decreased to $0.27 cents per unit from $0.28 cents for Q4 2019, and our FFO payout ratio was 83.2% versus 80.1% in the same quarter last year. In addition to the impacts of COVID-19, AFFO and FFO decreased in the quarter due to the increased finance cost of approximately $2 million, resulting from the premium paid related to the partial early redemption of unsecured notes. Adjusting for the impact of COVID-19 on Crombie's operating performance and the impact of the interest premium paid, AFFO per unit would be $0.25 cents and FFO per unit would be $0.29 cents ahead of Q4 2019. G&A as a percent of property revenue for Q4 was 5.7%, or $5.5 million compared to 6% for the same quarter in 2019. The decrease from Q4 2019 is primarily driven by reduced salaries from the organizational realignment completed in Q2 2020 and lower unit-based compensation. Crombie continues to reduce risk and build financial strength by strategically managing our capital structure and optimizing capital allocation to generate long-term value for our stakeholders. During the fourth quarter, Crombie had successful issuances of $300 million in unsecured notes. Proceeds were used to partially redeem $100 million of unsecured notes due June 1, 2021, 
and the remainder applied against short-term bank debt. The issuance and partial redemption aligned with Crombie's focus on increasing weighted average term to maturity of its debt with an inaugural 10-year offering and harvesting interest savings with our lowest coupon rate to date on a 7.5-year unsecured note offering of 2.69%. In the fourth quarter, Crombie secured a long-term 16-year $100 million mortgage financing at a favorable interest rate of 2.87%. 36.7 million of the proceeds were drawn in Q4, leaving 63.3 million of restricted cash on hand, which is expected to be fully drawn by the end of Q2 2021. Both financing activities align with their debt strategy and significantly increases our weighted average term to maturity from 4.1 years in Q4 2019 to 5.3 years in Q4 2020 while lowering our weighted average interest rate. Our unencumbered asset pool is approximately $1.4 billion, or 30% of Crombie's total assets of $4.8 billion. Our debt-to-gross fair value net of cash at the end of Q4 was 48.8% compared to 49.8% for Q3 2020. We ended the quarter with debt-to-trailing 12-month EBITDA at 9.19 times net of cash and COVID-related adjustments versus 8.52 times at Q4 2019. This increase is primarily impacted by spending on development with no income until project completion. Looking ahead in 2021, we are focused on the continuous improvement of the balance sheet, while also retaining flexibility to pursue strategic growth initiatives. $270 million of our total debt is maturing this year at a weighted average interest rate of 3.7%. Included in this is $150 million of unsecured notes maturing on June 1, 2021 and 85 million of mortgages with approximately 8% maturing in December 2021. All this debt can be funded through utilizing our existing liquidity or with the issuance of long-term debt at currently attractive lower rates. Crombie is committed to delivering value through the effective allocation of capital and accelerating NAV and AFFO growth per unit while supporting our tenants, employees, and communities during these difficult times. I will now turn the call over to Don for a few closing comments. Thank you, Clinton. At Crombie, ESG is part of our everyday decision-making, as we believe that everyone has a responsibility to do their part to help protect and sustain our environment, improve the lives of our employees and Canadians, and govern our trust to the highest standards. We've implemented many programs over the last 15 years that focused on reducing our carbon footprint and other environmental impacts and properties that we own and operate. Today, we have committed to the Gresby Framework for Reporting, in 2020, in collaboration with Empire, LED retrofits were completed at 147 of our properties across the country. Additionally, Clean St. John's awarded Avalon Mall the Golden Broom Corporate Award in 2020. Sustainable design and construction is embedded in our development process. Our Davy Street development adheres to this and is built to lead gold equivalent. From a social perspective, Crombie has consistently won Atlantic Canadian and Nova Scotian Employer of the Year awards as a result of our commitment to our people and our culture. In 2020, we also won a Top Canadian Small and Medium Enterprise Award. Diversity, equity, and inclusion at Crombie is of utmost importance. And in 2020, we updated our diversity, equity, and inclusion policy to include goals, accountabilities, and commitments. We held virtual inclusion conversations and we signed the Black North Pledge. Crombie has always believed in strong corporate governance and ethics. While we have a strategic relationship with Empire, who owns 41.5% interest in Crombie, 
We have taken every effort to maintain our independence. Three of the 10 trustees are appointed by Empire and must abstain from voting on related party transactions with Empire Company Limited. The remaining seven trustees, including the board chair, are elected by unit holders. Looking ahead, we are committed to advancing our ESG program. We will report publicly our ESG strategy and operating model, our priority ESG objectives, and we will publish an ESG report with commitments that reflect our values. Reflecting on the year that was 2020, our business and our people were tested severely and continuously, and they showed remarkable resilience in the face of immense disruption. The courage and innovation displayed was second to none. While the world is not yet safe to return to normal, we are confident in the future we are building at Crombie. That concludes our prepared remarks. We're now happy to answer your questions. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. First question comes from Jenny Ma at BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon. Hi, Jenny. So I wanted to ask about Avalon Mall. Uh, the numbers look um, you know, a lot better than they did in the first quarters of 2020. And I know we're kind of still in the middle of the outbreak in Newfoundland, but do you have any additional color um, and have you had any, had any conversations with your tenants uh, about uh, what the plans are and do you anticipate any sort of hiccups in rent collection? Um, I guess you would have collected February, but I guess we're looking at March now. Yeah, no, Jenny, so you know, with the lockdown, it certainly changed. As we mentioned in the script, 94% rent collection was achieved at Avalon in Q4. And you're right, that's a far improvement from back in the dark days of summer. I think there was points in the early part of COVID where about 40% of our bad debt costs were at one property, Avalon Mall. So it's amazing how we've gotten back to 94% collection in the fourth quarter, 99% of the tenants open and really good shape. During this lockdown of the last couple of weeks, um, essentially curbside pickup was allowed, um, but no in-store shopping, except for essential service tenants like, say, pharmacies. So we had about 43% of the mall was actually doing business during this two-week period, which is reasonably impressive given it was really a, a stage five lockdown. And we'll know more tomorrow uh, about uh, whether this lockdown will end or whether it will be extended but there's been great progress on the COVID cases the last uh, week. So we'll see in the next 24 hours what, uh, what that foretells. In terms of other tenants, it's going well. H&M opened very well. 
Uh, we've had situations where now the fixturing of other tenants is uh, sport check is fixturing a gap, uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, et cetera. So we're gearing up for the grand reopening. It's going to be a different event because it'll be quasi-virtual. Tenants will not be able from head offices get to Newfoundland, et cetera. So we have some really spectacular plans to celebrate the reopening. But I can just say that it's gone really well. And on the adjacent property to Avalon, the Kenmount Road property, we opened a 45,000-square-foot brick store in November, and that's gone really well. But the traffic at the mall has been strong. Before this, call it lockdown of the last two weeks, traffic levels were running about 13% below last year, which all things considered is really, really strong, and we're really pleased with that. So overall, the property has done extremely well, and we're excited for the tenants that are coming uh, with the, the grand reopening. Um, there is a bit of additional leasing to be done. Uh, we've just had some pad spaces leased. Two of our four uh, pad spaces have been leased in the last month. So overall, hopefully that gives you some color, but it's been extremely encouraging. And I won't say which tenant, but just to Donnie's point about uh, Avalon being a very strong mall, one of our tenants had the top same-store sales in the world uh, at Avalon over the last three or four months, of, over a couple-of-week period. So that speaks uh, volumes about the ability of that economy to restore and the strength of that mall to service uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. And Jenny, yeah, Tony, just yeah. one, one one more point is people have to appreciate that the Avalon Mall has been one of the top, in my mind, five probably five malls in the country over the last year just because it's been open, <clears throat> and it's been open, you know, uh, for a good chunk of the time. So I don't have a detailed stat on that, but I'm pretty comfortable that it's been open a lot more and having much better sales than most in closed malls in the country. And as Glenn said, people now paying the rent, so it's. It's really a strong property, and, and especially through COVID with strong performance by Newfoundland up until the last two weeks, um, you know, against COVID. It's, it's been a, a, an exception, I think, in, to the enclosed regional malls uh, in Canada. Yeah, it's, it's good to see. Um, I guess to my question about rent collection, is it fair to say that uh, with February rent due before the lockdown, it probably tracked closer to January? And then we'll look forward to March. I, I guess it'll depend on what gets announced tomorrow. That probably would impact it to some extent. Yeah, that's fair. And we're still cautiously optimistic that March will be fine. But in general, you know, whether it's Newfoundland or whether it's Threed in general, uh, February was very much uh, tracking uh, January, which is encouraging. And uh, yeah, it's a little. It remains a little bit to be seen for March. But we're still cautiously optimistic that at the REIT level, March is going to be strong. But uh, Avalon is going to be uh, a little bit uncertain. We'll know a bit more in the next 24 hours. Hopefully, tenants get back to business next week or on the weekend, depending on when the lockdown ends. But that's uh, a little bit unknown at this point, Jenny. Yeah. Okay, great. The other, th the other thing I'll add is that people can see, the, I think generally tenants can see the end of the pandemic, uh, you know, in sight potentially with vaccines rolling out across the country. Um, but in particular, in areas where, you know, they've managed COVID better than others, societies have been behaving on a relatively normal basis, and Newfoundland's one of those. Um, and so it's, uh, I think tenants won't be uh, as aggressive uh, this time around because they're much closer to the end. And so I, I'm quite, you know, cautiously optimistic that, you know, the discussions we have will be quite different than, you know, we, we were having in April of last year. Great. 
Um, and with regards to the development projects, Glenn, you had mentioned that the, um, the, the, the Voila CFC is going to start producing rents this quarter. Um, can you be a little bit more specific about the, the timing? Has it already begun? And then um, this might be a question for, for Clinton, but um, is there a dislocation between uh, the capitalized interest and the, and the timing of the, the NOI commencing? So in terms of rent commencement, uh, rent commenced uh, at uh, early January. So rent has commenced, and we would have ceased to capitalize interest upon substantial completion in late December of 2020. So there's no dislocation, Jenny. Okay. Um, okay, great. And then turning to the same store NOI, uh, congratulations on a, on a positive print. Um, it looks like it was from a lot of the work that you're doing on the Sylvie stores. I'm just wondering if you could provide some more color on maybe the mechanics of how um, how that happens in a particular store and, and, and how many stores this would have applied to, um, you know, on a ballpark figure. Sure. So we reported plus 1.9%, but as Clinton noted, if you back out the impact of parking, the COVID impacts parking, bad debt expense, and the rent abatements, it was really plus 3.6%. That's a pretty strong quarter for us in normal terms. So. As you know, Jenny, there's four reasons for growing same asset NOI. It's improved occupancy, which we've had a nice year doing that. Secondly, it's achieving rental bumps on renewals, and we re achieved 4.5% on that in the quarter, 4.1% for the year. There's land use intensification, where we do minor, call it pad expansions to retail properties, maybe a QSR restaurant here or there. Because those are relatively small, if it's done on the same asset property, we don't change the characterization of that property. That's been pretty slow through COVID. Tenants went pens down on deals, as you would appreciate. Uh, so LUI, we're expecting to be at a much more rapid pace this year. We're really getting excited. The fourth is what you referred to as the Sobeys modernizations. We do invest money in the modernization or renovation of Sobeys stores, and the return we get increases the rent. So if that property is a same asset property, that additional rent does support same asset NOI. At any one point in time in a year, we might do, you know, upwards of 10 of these. It depends. Um, but they do generate additional uh, revenue that supports same asset NOI. We don't break out the distinction, but the reason why we mentioned that this quarter our same asset NOI was buoyed a bit more by the capital side was because the 3.6% overall same asset growth is a stronger number than normal. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. I'll turn it back. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. The next question comes from Pammy Beer at RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, hi, everyone. Um, just, uh, in terms of leasing velocity, you know, it certainly picked up with the, the development. Can you maybe just comment on your thoughts on how you see um, the committed versus economic spread trending this year? Sure. I'm glad you asked that, Pami, because some of the analysts uh, only focus on economic occupancy, and this is a key point, probably the most key thing I'll say today. We reported 94% economic occupancy. It would have been 95.5% or 95.6% economic occupancy, but for the completion of CFC2 in Montreal, because on December 20th, we added 300,000 feet to GLA and zero to economic occupancy. So if you back out, you can do the math yourself, you would see instead of 94% economic occupancy, you'd see 95.6. So we do have a bit of a distortion between that 94% and the 96.4% of committed occupancy. 
to your question, I think it's going to narrow. For example, as I just meant, mentioned to Jenny's question, the 300,000 feet for CFC2 is now paying rent. So as of early January, it's now in economic occupancy. Uh, a number of the other deals are in Avalon, which is going to be opening over the next few months for the grand reopening. So I think you'll see an alignment very quickly in 2021. And this is critical because when we mention committed occupancy, we talk about future NOI growth potential because it's deals done but not yet paying rent. So that CFC facility is now paying rent. The tenants at Avalon are moving closer every day towards paying rent. And we do have a 49,000 square foot office uh, committed a deal at the Scotia Square in Halifax, and that will be probably mid-year uh, paying rent. So we will see good traction in getting that uh, committed space into the economic uh, space here uh, early to mid-2021. That's, uh, that's helpful, Glenn. I guess just um, on the flip side, you know, it's been fairly quiet, I guess, from a bankruptcy standpoint to start the year. Certainly last year was was quite heavy. But, um, you know, as you think about, uh, call it the next few quarters, anything in your sites that maybe you're concerned about at all with respect to maybe closures, shrinking footprints, or, or CCAA's uh, filings, or, uh, and I guess as well, how that might play into, um, you know, bad debts and abatements? You know, we're feeling really blessed, Pommy, at this point. I, I think I'll be off a little bit on the stat, but if there was 30 leases and there wouldn't be a large number. Let's say there was 30 leases in our total portfolio that were subject to CCAA in the last year. We would have captured more than 90% of them because they were in great locations like Avalon Mall where the tenant was going to continue on. So, no, I can't think of any particular tenant situation sitting here today that we're immensely worried about. There's, uh, there's tenants, obviously, that uh, are not as operational as they'd like to be across the country. Uh, I think of gyms, I think of, of cineplexes, and, you know, like video, but we're very confident in seeing some public announcements of financings by those organizations and participation in the federal government LEAF program by one of those. I believe it was Good Life. So, you know, those are the kinds of tenants that everyone is really cheering for, as we are. But, no, I can't find any other tenants on our roster right now that we're concerned about. Pommy, uh, it's Donnie. One other stat that people don't realize is that there are more tenants actually open stores in 2020 than closed. And that's actually the same, that same situation applies 2017 through 19 in Canada. So each of those last four years, including, you know, the one through a crisis, more stores opened than closed. And all the narrative is on, you know, the retail apocalypse. So it's, it's not necessarily true. Uh, there is lots of transition. We've always had transition in retail. We've always said it's the fastest changing type of real estate, um, and it, it's although it's probably not in our type of real estate uh, with grocery anchored, but nevertheless, you just have to be able to adapt and continue to move. But I think our occupancy, uh, the level of interest we have from strong retailers that fit our type of real estate, um, you know, again, we're we're cautiously optimistic. Yes, you know, there can be further failures, but uh, again, we have good real estate. Feel like we could. If the situation occurred, we could backfill. Um, but right now, we just don't. Most of the situations, if not all of them, situations look like they're either stabilized financially and/or, you know, I think open and doing business. Uh, so we're we're quite, I think, as Glenn said, fortunate um, in the nature of the portfolio and the quality of the tenants we have. Oh, that's, uh, that's not, not, not 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 all retail is created equal, Tommy. 
So for yeah, sure. Very fortunate. Um, yeah. Just on the um, maybe switching gears to Davy Street, you, you gave us some color, uh, you know, in your prepared remarks. Can you just talk about, you know, the lease up process there, and um, you know, any updated thoughts on uh, perhaps reaching stabilization? I know, I think typically you said six to twelve months, but obviously we're in a bit of a different scenario. So, just any updated thoughts there? Yeah, no. So we're very pleased. We're not actually going to give out the number. We decided not to, but we're very pleased with the lease up. West Bank's doing a heck of a job. Um, through various, you know, I'll call it stages of lockdown uh, in that community. And, you know, they have a very strong team on the ground, very uh, strong, uh, you know, model suites. And, uh, you know, uh, we've had very strong interest and strong, in my mind, strong lease up. I think that time frame is still a fair uh, time frame. I, I will point you to the front of the MDNA, which has some very nice uh, new pictures of Davie Street and will be making some of those available, I think, in the near future on our annual report. But it's a spectacular property that, uh, you know, uh, we're very, very proud of together with West Bank. Um, but the lease-up's going well. Um, you know, the interesting part is that we've had some slowdown, I think, in that community as a whole due to immigration reduction, due to Chinese students not coming. Um, but that's, you know, really picked up over the last few weeks. Uh, and then also importantly, I think rental growth has continued uh, up and cap rates have actually gone down. So the value creation there is, is you know, it's, it's a home run, uh, I believe, and will be uh, when it's fully leased. It's just going to take a little time. So, uh, and we're, we're, we're very confident about it. Got it. Just last one for me, and I'll turn it back. Uh, just on the industrial same property, and anyway, I just I, I'm just a little curious as to the decline in Q4. Just it did seem a bit unusual. Yeah, that was a, a nothing, Tommy. We bought the second half of the bond DC in late 2019, so late last year, and there was just some anomalies on timing of revenue. But you're right; it should be very flat to up that one to two percent normal growth in in those rents. So it was just an anomaly in how we transitioned the purchase and the rent billing, um, particularly in late 2019. So it's really a nothing, and it'll sort itself out. I think you'll even see in the year-to-date variance is smaller, and that should look after itself here in the next quarter or two. Thanks very much. I will uh, turn it back. Thanks so much. Thank you. The next question mm -hmm. comes from Alex Leon at Desjardins. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Uh, just a couple quick questions from me. Uh, first thing on occupancy, uh, there were some moving parts within the economic occupancy number this quarter, and you mentioned that if we excluded the developments, it would have been uh, that 95.6 level. I'm just wondering if you can comment on what the average economic occupancy was during the quarter and uh, how that would compare to 3Q. This is Glenn. I would say it would be very stable during the quarter because other than the 300,000 feet that went in that we're adjusting for, um, our economic occupancy, I don't have the Q3 number in front of me, but I would say our economic occupancy was very stable. We didn't, we had some leasing in the ordinary course. Um, we didn't have any major tenant movement. So I would say our economic occupancy was probably very close to that 95 and a half, 96%. Uh, range through the quarter, but it jumped down to the 94% when we added in the 300,000 feet to GLA and, and nothing to uh, to occupancy. Hopefully that helps, but I would say our economic occupancy was quite stable, but for 
that 300,000 foot adjustment. Okay, great. Uh, and then second and lastly, uh, on the development side, uh, remaining development spend on the three active major developments is uh, about 60 million. And then you mentioned you have three projects that are currently zoned. I'm uh, just wondering if there's going to be any major capital invested in those zone projects for 2021, and if you could uh, maybe provide some comments on what the projects will entail. Yeah, I'm not going to give any specific color, but we're excited, and as we said in our remarks, we're we're looking forward to, you know, an average annual development spend of 150 to 250 million. So you are right, just to cover a couple of your numbers. So there's 59 million to finish up the three, which is Davy Street Residential. Duke and Bronte. There's also a little bit of spend for the substantially completed projects, probably 20, 30 million, around 20 million just to, to finish those out this year, although they're substantially complete, it's a few dollars more. For this year, we are going to be advancing some of those zone projects. We're going to continue the entitlement process, as we said, on all 10, but I can't give you specific projects as to what project is going to start next. We'll be happy to share that over the next quarter or so, but uh, nothing more. Okay, appreciate it. I'll turn it back. The next question comes from Sam Damiani at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon, everyone. Um, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, just on the on the development, sort of similar to the last question. Uh, I think Donnie, you said in your opening remarks that Empire spending would be you know between 100 to 200 million a year, um, and then separately, it was also said that. Total development spending would range between 150 and to 250 million a year. I assume those are um, not additive. Uh, so if I could just sort of get into 2021 specifically, it looks like there's around 80 million sort of left to go on on the active projects. Um, but what what else is is I guess in the pipeline here for 2021 specifically? Is it going to be at the lower end of that range, or do you see potential for you know, perhaps, perhaps some uh, some drop downs from 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 Empire. So Sam, just uh, so for clarity, we those are additive, right? They uh, 100 to 200 on Sobe's initiatives this includes modernizations, expansions, conversions to farm by Freshco, acquisitions, uh, and can include you know uh, various parts of the uh, omni-channel, um, uh, you know, and home home e-commerce, home delivery uh, networks. Uh, and then on top of that, 100 to 200 is 150 to 250 on development, right? And uh, that can be, you know, can be large stuff, which we've talked about. It can also be some smaller stuff. And so our, you know, um, our expectation is, as we said, is to hit at least the minimum of that, uh, which is, you know, call it 250 million and, uh, you know, I think over time, our hope is to accelerate um, because, you know, Sobeys is, I think, importantly, doing exceptionally well uh, under the leadership of Michael Medline and accelerating their uh, growth and their competitiveness of their store network um, because they're doing so well. Uh, and we're, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with them to help them accelerate uh, their growth and their competitiveness. And for us, that presents tremendous opportunities, not all of which are big, large-scale developments. Um, fairly significant number can be, you know, smaller amounts, but can be very significant to us because they add uh, very nice AFFO and NAV growth. And so, um, 
you know, I'd say uh, we'll be, in my humble opinion, we'll at least be at the lower end of that range, but I think we'll be in the middle to, you know, we could be in the middle to upper end of that range with our plan. So we're, we're quite pleased with the opportunities that we have. It's a pretty wide selection and we're very ambitious to, um, you know, to work with Sobeys and, uh, and, and, and evolve this program. I've always said it's a sustainable competitive advantage of the retailer related REITs like Crombie that that relationship can uncover tremendous opportunity in real estate uh, like other REITs cannot, right? And uh, if we can just add on this layer of major development, uh, it's a very distinguishing advantage for this company. And uh, I think we'll continue to prove the spending will, you know, be solid. And, uh, but again, we're, you know, we are trying to balance it off with the uncertainty of the pandemic. It's not quite over. We've balanced our, you know, the, the, the priorities of our balance sheet and our liquidity against the desire to spend money. So we've actually tried to increase the flexibility of our uh, commitments uh, on development. And that's hard to do. Some of the big ones take, you know, as you know, many, many years to uh, go from start to uh, finish. Uh, but others, uh, as we've proven with some of the work we do with Sobeys can happen fairly quickly. And uh, as a result, we, you know, don't have to commit with, uh, you know, 12 months or 18 months or two years in advance to spending the money, but it can happen relatively quickly. It's part of the advantage that we have with the retailers. So again, I'm optimistic overall, the spending will be consistent. It is our goal to get to consistency at scale and the consistency at scale is getting to those ranges each and every year, right? And with that, hopefully the AFFO growth and the NAV growth uh, becomes consistent and at scale, such that you know, uh, you know, it, it just it drives the growth of the company. I believe. Thank you. That's good color. And, and just on, I guess on, I guess a little more on some context around the plans for the coming year. Is it uh, potential uh, likelihood that Crombie would be directly involved in CFC three, uh, as it was for uh, CFC two, um, and uh, I guess for for. For the modernizations, or is there a number of modernizations that uh, you expect to uh, you know, execute on in 2021? Yeah, we, uh, you know, uh, Michael Medline was kind enough to announce it in, I believe it was December, that uh, mm -hmm. they're working with Crombie on CFC3 uh, in, in Calgary. And so we continue to do that work with them. It is the type of thing that can go quickly. Um, and we're, you know, we have a lot of skill now built up within our company as is built up within uh, Empire to uh, work with Ocado and develop something that's, you know, extraordinary in terms of the quality of the real estate and the nature of what they do there, the high tech uh, work that they do. And so the skill we've learned in Montreal is going to be carried over to, you know, to the Calgary CFC. Um, and uh, in terms of modernizations, you know, you know, I don't want to give too many, uh, you know, it, 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 I don't really want to uh, say, I guess, that there's, you know, you can look at the past and probably see, you know, uh, 10 to 20 modernizations in the last, you know, a, a year, in the last two years. And uh, that's probably a number that's, you know, possibly indicative of future funding. Um, and the goal, again, is to get to consistency at scale in that work. Because, you know, I think Michael's uh, said it before, the, the bricks and mortar retail and grocery is going to pay for all of the innovation in their company. And so for Crombie, we're keen to invest money in their modernizations because it makes those stores competitive. And in a world where e-commerce is, you know, one, 2%, maybe growing to four or five, 
the stores still drive most of the grocery sales and they need to be competitive because the competitors are, you know, very large entities that are doing a great job. And, you know, so they, they want to be very competitive. So, so we're, we're very keen. And for us, it's investments in assets that we already own. Uh, and so it makes our properties better and their yields and returns on it are quite reasonable. So, uh, you know, we're keen to do it. And so our last question for me is just on the on the balance sheet, you know, balancing the capital spending expectations against the goal of of you know further improving the balance sheet. Um, three options, obviously, equity dispositions, and uh, and and lastly, uh, bumps to the fair value. Have you booked any fair value gains on any of the active major uh, developments to date? And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the other two as a, as uh, as sources of capital for for 2021. Let me, let me start with saying I think Crombie's always been creative at uh, sourcing capital, and we've done that in the past. So we, I like to say we have optionality, and so that's something we look at, and we, I think and we've proven ourselves that we're, we're, we're effective stewards of capital, and that's going to be the approach we take go forward. So when it comes to fair value, I, I, I think the answer is when we the CFC, when that came across, there is a fair value bump for that, but nothing for our residential development. And so, Sam, I'll, I'll jump. I'll jump in on that. It is, you know, we've talked to the you folks over the last few years of a dollar to two dollars of NAV creation, and so this is the first quarter where we've seen, you know, a small part of that come into our fair value, um, and ultimately we think that's how we drive our, you know, debt to GBV on a fair value basis down into the mid 40s, which is one of our goals, which is ultimately hoping to get us to triple B mid uh, ideally over the next three to five years um, and uh, so you know it started right and so we're very pleased about that and it's one of the benefits of what we do right uh, investing you know in uh, in to yields on costs in the five to six range on assets that trade industrial and in Montreal even trades in that you know low fours range right so uh, these are solid investments and uh, we're you know, uh, we're pleased with that that type of impact, and that that's where we get our, a good chunk of our NAV growth over the next number of years. Thanks very much. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. The last question comes from Tal Woolley at National Bank. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Hey, Tal. Hi, um, just a couple of, uh, quick questions up front. Um, Apple and Mom. Do you have a rough? Can you tell us sort of like the rough carrying value you've got on the balance sheet for that right now? Just because your asset base has been shifting a lot, and I'm not sure exactly how much of the balance sheet it is anymore. Yeah, that's something we don't disclose in terms of that. Okay. Or competitive, or competitive reasons. Yeah, well, yeah, we don't disclose specific assets at all. Okay. Um, and then uh, for CFC3 in Calgary, do you have the site yet? Uh, we do, yeah. We have the site. It's next door to the uh, current, uh, you know, modern distribution center that uh, that Sobeys has there. So um, we own the site. We're working with them, and we're working with Ocado at the moment, uh, very aggressively on uh, on our plan for the site. Um, I'm looking forward to moving pretty quickly um, under Project Horizon. Um, you know the. Uh, plans for e-commerce home delivery were accelerated, and so for us, uh, we're excited to be part of that and trying to accelerate this one uh, as well. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as you sort of work off 
um, this initial transfer project and start, uh, you know, the planning and zoning for the balance, uh, you know, fair to say that the early signs of the, you know, performance of the commercial part of Davie Street has gone reasonably well, and that's why, you know, you're trying to sort of work down the, work down those groups of projects. Yeah, the retail, if your question's about the retail portion of, of Davie, that's 100% leased now as, um, as of Q4, but I might have missed, what was the other part of your question? Well, sorry, I was just trying to get a sense of like the the performance at that store that like you and Empire have been ple you know pleased, and that's why you're continuing to sort of work down the next the next tranche of projects. Oh yeah, absolutely. We've we've got a, a roadmap now working with Sobeys to identify, you know, to really activate our ladder. Uh, I think I can't speak for Sobeys, but from what I've heard, the the Safeway store at uh, Davie Street has performed well. It's a beautiful store. And that is one of the advantages for Sobeys of the development program. You take a store that's not prototypical, you get a very brand new prototypical store in the middle of an urban market. So that's one of the advantages. And you've seen some of the schematics on uh, the Broadway and commercial project. Same opportunity there for Sobeys to have a very large prototypical store. So yeah, that's going to be one of the drivers. And it's never a guarantee, but I think Sobeys feels pretty confident that if it can get a prototypical store in great urban locations that they're going to perform very well. And so far that's been our realization. Okay. Um, and then just on the development side, um, you know, you've outlined sort of what you think your spending will be. I, I'm just curious, like, what what's the ideal number of projects that you guys would like to have on the go? Like just, you know, from a people management perspective and just not getting, you know, not having, not trying to stress out your team, but not having them sit idle. Like what's sort of the people capacity? Yeah, I don't know, Tal. I've been around development for over 30 years and I've never known a time in development that I haven't been stressed. So it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, what we're growing our team. We have, you know, over 25 people in development and uh, most of those people have residential development experience. So we're continuing to, you know, build, you know, the uh, capacity to deal with projects, both with partners and on our own. I think you'll see over the next 12, 24 months at the latest, we'll be embarking on a project on our own uh, or two. And uh, so I'm quite pleased with that, but we'll continue to work with partners uh, to, you know, do more. And so, and when you do, uh, do them with partners, it's what I call passive active. Um, so we're very, you know, in tune with what our partners are doing. Uh, they're in the lead, obviously, from a development point of view, but we're very pass very active passive partners. In other words, we want to make sure we learn everything we can from our, our partners who are really good at what they do. And, uh, and overall, in time, we'll probably end up doing, I think, a minority of the projects in the future on our own, just because of the size and the scale. Uh, some of them are exceptionally large. Um, but I think our team is, is managing uh, the pipeline strategically. Uh, again, trying to get the consistency at scale. That's why we try to give you the spending number. Um, and, um, and if we can do that, you know, I think our team will be stressed the right amount. <laughs> They'll always be stressed, but it's it's not overstressed, I guess, is, is my hope. But uh, it's also doing things very responsibly, right? So um, I, I don't know if that helps you or not. That for us, a key considerations are, as Donnie mentioned, the complexity of the projects, but it's also geography. If we can have a project or two going on in each part of the country, right now it's been good, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Vancouver Island, Newfoundland, 
So we like the idea of having some dispersion. We have some great sites in Halifax, and it's a fantastic market, so we're excited about that marketplace, obviously, and we have lots of opportunities in, on the West Coast. So from a risk management point of view in general, but also from managing pe uh, people capacity, uh, I think we can do more if we have good dispersion geographically across the country. Okay. Um, and then uh, I just wanted to circle back to Jenny's question just about, um, you know, how to think about FFO progression when we've got these developments coming online. Um, I know I'm really talented at screwing that up. And so uh, I just, just think about, um, you know, you're going to have, you've had 19 or you're expecting 19 million in NOI roughly from the 2020 completions. How, how long would it, you know, like, would it take for that, for you to achieve that sort of 19 million run rate? What's your expectation of, like, we'll, we'll have that 19 million in the, in the bag by, you know, is it the end of 2021? Is it, you know, the middle of 2022? How should we think about sort of scaling that up? Yeah, numbers? I would, my direction would be that it's probably, you know, middle of 2022, being re realistic. We're going to achieve substantial completion on Duke and Bronte, call it, you know, mid-year to Q3 range uh, for those projects with a normal lease-up period expected. So that takes you into mid-2022 for those projects, you know, getting stabilized in that range. Obviously, Davie Street should be there before then. The other Avalon, Belmont uh, project, CFC2, those are essentially much quicker. But I would say that, and the only other comment I would say is that for 2021, we still have a little bit of drag this year because we have interest capitalization until we get to substantial completion. So on Duke and, and Bronte and Davie Street, there's going to be a little bit of drag this year, but nothing of significance. But I would say 2022 uh, is when we should see the, you know, the fruits of our labor on, on these first six projects. And if you're, if you're consistently sort of investing $150 to $2 million in development each year I, like your their, your PUD balance shouldn't swing around that much that we should have a ton of variance in the amount of interest you're capitalizing is that is that a fair statement I think that's uh, I think yeah. that's reasonable I'm not fully following but I think the idea that is if we have sort of a normal amount of HUD if you will or normal amount of projects under development then you as long as we keep a fairly standard rhythm to the program then things should be pretty much equilibrium with and Donnie talks about this. We want to we want to have pro property coming out of the pipe and property going into the pipe. And our goal is to maintain a good equilibrium of you know somewhere in the range is what we have now around 600 million dollars of spend. Initially, we said you know each project on average could be you know a couple hundred million. There's three years, no, or sorry, three-year projects or 200 million a year of spend is 600 million, and that's sort of what we just are working through now. So if we keep that kind of equilibrium and our interest capitalization should be fairly standard. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Hey, Thanks, Carol. Thanks so much. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back over to Ruth Martin for closing comments. Thank you for your time today, and we look forward to updating you on our progress on our Q1 call in May. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Bob. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.